0: You're listening to Bariatric Life Podcast, a podcast about weight loss surgery. Chris and I are not doctors, nor have we ever played one on TV. We are sharing our personal views and opinions only. Please always follow your doctor's advice. Follow us on Instagram at Bariatric Life Podcast and at Amanda's VSG. Thanks for listening and now on to the show. We are so excited to announce a new partnership with Titan Nutrition. They have proteins, vitamins, pre-workouts, and superfoods. Their proteins come in flavors like peanut butter fudge and snickerdoodle.
1: Mm, snickerdoodle is my favorite.
0: And they have 24 grams of protein.
1: Go to TitanNutrition.net and use code Bariatric life for 10% off your order and get free shipping. Again, that is TitanNutrition.net and discount code Bariatric Life, all one word.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Bariatric Life Podcast. This is Amanda.
1: And this is Chris.
0: And today we are talking with Pamela, a food addiction counselor. Hi, Pamela. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So let's start with your, you did have weight loss surgery, right? I did, yes. Which surgery did you have, and when did you have it? So I had a mini gastric bypass.
2: I don't know what makes it mini, but that's what it's called. <laughs> I've always um, done that myself. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's it's essentially a gastric bypass. And uh, about three years ago now. And how much did you lose? 100 pounds, give or take. Up, you know, it's around that, that much. My weight is pretty stable, but it goes up and down, but approximately 100 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And did
0: you have any complications with your surgery?
2: No, everything was super smooth. um, You know, like the regular recovery, but overall, no, very smooth um, process.
1: That's good.
2: Yeah.
0: Why'd you pick that specific procedure? Well, I guess I, I,
2: I don't know statistically that there's a huge variance between the two procedures. Um, to me, it felt like, I know that some people have revision from um, the sleeve to the bypass. And I was like, I don't want there to be any other possibility of a surgery. I want like, I'm like burning the ships, you know, like I'm going to do, like, this is going to be my, I'm putting all the, putting all my chips in. Right. Like, I, and I actually did have sort of a meltdown the day before. And I remember speaking to my surgeon, like saying, I don't know if I made the right decision. Maybe I should not be doing, you know, maybe I should have a sleep. And he was kind of like, well, if it was my daughter, I would recommend that, that she does this. Um, and so I was like, okay. Um, you know, that was my thought process.
0: And then did you have any health condition improved since your surgery?
2: You know my overall health has just improved greatly um so things like um pain in my feet and pain in my knees are i mean, gone completely um by the end like by my surgery date i i was never tested but i'm sure i had sleep apnea like it was hard for me to sleep on my back you know that's just completely finished like just gone um everything's just so much easier now Sorry, if this is TMI, but my periods are more regulated, and so
1: um, that that has been a common theme that we've heard. It yeah, greatly helps regulate periods, and and especially for women that weren't, I guess, regular or consistent. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah so I I think it's one of the coolest experiences. Is I've always exercised. And it's just such a cool experience to know what it's like to exercise with a, a variance of a hundred pounds. <laughs> like, it's just so cool. It's always like, wow, this is so easy now. Like, it yeah. just feels so great. You know, like, wow, this is so, this feels so good compared to what it used to feel like, you know? No.
0: What was the biggest hurdle that you faced while you, after your surgery?
2: Well, um, I mean, it sort of leads into what I'm doing now, but first by far the biggest hurdle is the fact that there's a honeymoon period and the honeymoon period ends. And so, you know, I'm sure this is, I know how many people are struggling with the fact that you get to sort of this low weight, uh, your, you know, your lowest weight. And often you start noticing your bad habits creeping back. Um, and all of a sudden you're able to eat more and then you're able to eat more and you're able to eat more and you, you know, maybe let foods that you hadn't been eating, you start eating them again and, oh, it would be nice if you, they made you so sick that you decided never to eat them again. But I personally don't know anybody who's had that experience, especially long-term. And, you know, you realize that all your issues that you had before surgery still exist about you know, a year post-surgery. So that by far was the biggest struggle.
0: Yeah. So how did that lead into the food addiction counseling?
2: So, you know, I, the, the reason why I am maintaining my weight loss without question is because I adopted a program of food addiction recovery. So you know, I sort of identified trigger foods that are big no-nos for me that I no longer eat. And I have a program of connection, of spiritual fulfillment, of, um, you know, different kind of activities that I know, you know, sort of fill my bucket that are non-negotiables. Um, routines, morning and evening routines, like all these things that are really as much part of my weight loss as what I eat. Um, and that really is the reason why I'm maintaining my weight. The surgery is is very helpful. It's a great tool, but without question, I would be gaining without that. And I, I was walking down the street one day and I remember thinking to myself, how do I make sure that I don't ever go back to my life prior because I was not just overweight, but I was, you know, like we talked about physically not so well and definitely mentally not well. I was very depressed. I I self-isolated. You know, I just was in a dark place. And I just remember thinking, you know, I'm going to make this my whole life. And it was very selfish sort of motives. But at the same time, I recognize that there are so many people in the same position that didn't find the information in the same way that I did. And so I'm like, I feel like, yes, the motives were sort of selfish, but I really feel like they are for the greater good because a lot of people are going to benefit from the knowledge that there is a treatment for food addiction. And, you know, the surgery is helpful, but ultimately if you are, if you you know, are addicted to these ultra processed foods or sugars or whatever it is that you do need a different kind of diet program than the rest of the people, the population.
0: So what kind of education did it take for you to become a counselor?
2: So, you know, a lot of what I know is really from my own experiences. So I've been through, you know, different um, food addiction programs, you know, from OA to OA How. There's a lot of, like, these free kind of programs that probably some of your listeners are familiar with. FA, um, uh, there's CO How. And then also I am familiar with Brightline Eating. And I just became obsessed personally. Like, I have, you know, listened to every podcast, (laughs) read every book, you know. So I lived this for years, and that's where a lot of my knowledge comes from. But also... Um, as far I think there's, um, there might be uh, maybe one or two sort of professionals in the field that have their own accreditation program, but that's by far the biggest one comes out of Iceland. It's called the InFact School. It's, um, an international school that is currently online and they offer certification and, uh, as a food addiction professional. Mm. So that's where I did my official certification.
0: Awesome. How long did it take to do that?
2: Uh, It's about an eight-month course. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: And what all does it entail?
2: So um, you learn about um, the science behind food addiction. So what is happening um, physiologically, biologically in your brain. And you learn about different treatment modalities And that school in particular places a lot of uh, emphasis on sort of the 12-step model of recovery. So I delved deep into sort of 12-step work, which I think is very interesting. Um, Yeah, and it was just really great because it's such a small field. So our teachers and our lecturers are like the the groundbreaking scientists in the field of food addiction so it was great in that way and also it was just a really uh it was also like a journey of self discovery because <laughs> you know like i am you know i i i i walk the walk <laughs> i don't just talk to talk right so you know it was a really nice community of Happened to be all women in the course. And so we definitely shared our own journeys. And um, it was very fulfilling in that way. Also, personally,
0: do you know if there's any movement toward having food addiction being recognized by the DSM?
2: Yes, there's definitely a push for it. I think there's also a very strong push back. Because as you can imagine, the, uh, the food industry, which is you know, huge industry doesn't want it recognized because then they would have to take some responsibility um, for the obesity epidemic and uh, all the um, correlating health crises that are going on. So it's not something that big industry is really keen to um to acknowledge, but there is currently a push happening. I see a lot of parallels between, you know, the tobacco industry and sort of the big food industry right now. And so I think, you know, it will be recognized in time. There's definitely pushback.
0: Yeah. So what, if you're able to give like a short synopsis, I know this is probably not
1: possible. It's a very
0: loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> but- how how does the science of food addiction work
2: so, yeah
0: well one thing
2: that i'll say is that i just put together a webinar so if people are can i can i just um absolutely and yeah. <laughs> just going to promote myself a little bit so i hope to run it you know maybe like on a monthly basis completely free so if anybody's interested you can find me on uh, instagram or facebook and i have a facebook group that's specifically for um, bariatric food addiction recovery support. So if you're just curious or if you just are looking for more support, you can join that group. Anyways, within that group, there's a webinar on the science of food addiction. So uh, that's actually coming up, I believe. I don't know when you're airing this, but I believe February 14th. So um, if this airs before that, um, j- you can join. Otherwise, maybe there'll be a replay or just stay tuned for another um, for the next webinar. But anyways, yes. So essentially, you know, when we eat these ultra-processed foods, they uh, affect our dopamine response. So the, these foods, if you look at like, you know, strawberry ice cream is going to release, you know, much, much, much more dopamine than a natural strawberry that we would find, you know, growing in the ground. Eventually our body sort of regulates to these high this high stream of dopamine until we need more and more and more. And our our when we have like sort of a regular baseline level of dopamine, it's it feels bad, right? Like so we have this really bad feeling because we've we've downregulated to the amount of dopamine that we're used to in our systems. And there's a part of the brain that becomes affected by this that that's not our rational brain. Like, it's not our frontal lobe that can make good decisions that says, you know what, salads are great. It's almost like it's, it's the survival part of the brain, like the real primitive part of the brain. And it is feeling like... Um, it's not getting what it needs. It's almost like the fight or flight, the survival mechanism comes into place. And that's why these cravings are so overwhelming. because it's coming from this real survival instinct in our brain. And so until we sort of recalibrate our our hormones and the dopamine, our cravings become very, very overwhelming. And um, really, our common sense is hijacked by this, um, you know, more primitive, brain part that is um gains control in in those times does that sort of make sense yeah yeah
1: now i was i was just sitting here thinking like that is a great way of describing it because i i think it is a hey i'm used to having this happy chemical at this level and now i don't so clearly something's wrong we need to take immediate action because something is wrong, not necessarily, you know, oh, this is lower than normal, but everything's okay. Like I could totally see how that would activate that fight or flight sense.
2: Yeah. And, and, and people, I mean, maybe you've experienced something like that where, you know, it's like, you know, better, you know, like people are very intelligent, people who struggle with food addiction, who, you know, who struggle with obesity, I mean, those two are two different things I should point out. They're intelligent, they're motivated, they're successful, and yet they're not able to deal with like this part of their life. You know, the eating is out of control despite, you know, high intelligence and high motivation. And so understanding that and understanding the tool, like what you need to do to overcome it is really, really game-changing. And what I just want to say is that your brain will recalibrate. So, you know, you will be able to sort of re- re-level things out where you're not, where you, the, the the cravings are no longer overwhelming. So that's like the good news.
1: <laughs> right. They'll, they're still there, but they're controllable. They're manageable.
2: They certainly can come, especially because we use food for so many reasons. We use food for celebration and for, you know, emotional regulation and for relaxation, all these things. So, you know, but but once our, you know, our base dopamine levels sort of re-regulate those overwhelming cravings really sort of go away, which is like pretty amazing.
0: So how does one define food addiction?
2: So there is um, There are standardized tests. So before I start working with clients, I would always do an assessment to sort of not only see if they would um, qu- you know qualify as having food addiction or a substance use disorder, the substance being food, but also just to see where they land on the scale of food ad- addiction and which um, aspects of food addiction are most salient for them. But essentially, like just in layperson's per- terms, You know, I would, you need to look at your eating. Do you often eat more than you think that you should or that you want to? And do you ever, like, do you feel like you want to stop, but you can't? And are the negative effects of your eating getting in the way of your life? Uh, If so, you probably have food addiction issues. How, let
0: me try that again. What What are are the parallels to, like, substance usage?
2: I mean, they're exactly the same, (laughs) really. It's like, you know, if you look at like, uh, you know, alcoholism, you might say, somebody might say, I'm only going to have one glass of wine, you know, or somebody might say, I'm only going to have one piece of cake. But instead, you try to, you start with one glass and you finish two bottles or you start with one piece of cake and you finish the cake and then go back for like the pint of ice cream. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, you say, oh man, I'm never doing that again. That was terrible. I'm never going to do that again. And then the next day you do the same thing, you know, and then maybe you're supposed to do X, Y, or Z, but you feel so sick that you can't do those things. You know, the parallels are, are exact. I mean, maybe not exact, but they're, um, you know, it's this, it would be the same, um, descriptors,
0: the reason I asked was I work with uh, in an intensive outpatient program and the questions that you were asking about food addiction are very similar, if not the same, to what we ask during assessments for substance
1: use disorder. Yeah, it's the same. Yep. Yeah. Well, and like if you think about it too, so like alcohol affects the brain, it affects the chemical interactions in the brain, just just as the dopamine and serotonin being released when you have that piece of cake or the eclair or, you know, whatever your food of choice was. Like I can totally see how it is all just chemical interactions in the brain and where is that chemical coming from is basically the only difference.
2: Yeah. And I, I feel really grateful that I, I, suffer from food addiction I like I can put down you know alcohol after glass I can I can identify when I've had too much and I, I need to stop. I've never had any problems with any other substances I just don't have it in me but a lot of people, you know, their addictions transfer from one thing to another, you know, and and that's really interesting, especially I know that after bariatric surgery transfer addictions, really uh, something can be problematic for people. So yes, it's the same um, sort of systems within the brain. Yes. But, you know, people have different reactions to different substances. I don't really know why I think maybe there's a genetic component, but
1: yeah. Do you think people are less likely to seek, help for a food addiction as opposed to like alcoholism? Do you feel like people think, oh, alcoholism is a disease, but food addiction is just a, this is just a character flaw I have. And so I'm less likely to seek help.
2: Yeah, I I think a hundred percent. I think, you know, I I appreciate the way you said that, that people interpret, you know, weight issues or eating issues as, um, character flaws or, you know, a moral flaw. And yes, and I think part of that is sort of the diet culture that exists in our society. Um, I think a lot of people don't, I mean, let's be honest, in some ways the repercussions of food addictions are not always serious as with other drugs. They're not as serious or as obvious.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Although people who I see who come to me are often, you know, they, they're suffering quite substantially. I also think that a lot of people, from my you know experience, they they often you know see themselves as, uh, you know, the other in their family. So if they come from a family that uh, you know has a lot of substance use within it, like a lot of alcoholism, they and they don't, then they often pride themselves on not being part of that um, you know addictive cycle, not drinking or not doing the drugs. And so it's hard for them to recognize that they also have an addictive issue because they haven't, you know, because they've always positioned themselves as sort of the one that didn't have an issue. Of course, their issue is just food and it's not as widely recognized. Um, And I think the lack of recognition for food addiction, actually, a lot of people would argue that it doesn't exist. Um, it's really damaging it's really damaging because people are suffering and they're not able to get the help that they need
0: so what does treatment look like
2: so on one hand i mean people always like to talk about um you know the the food and the meal planning and the, and that and that kind of situation so definitely it includes getting rid of the um Addictive substances, and those substances can vary from person to person. Generally, what we're talking about is sugar and flour and any ultra-processed foods. So we're talking about like the chips and the Oreos and all these, you know, irresistible snacks that come from a lab. And um, different people have different triggers, and I really find that food addiction exists sort of on a on a scale from sort of mild to more severe. So, you know, some people can just really remove, you know, sugar and maybe, you know, again, these ultra processed foods, and they can really go on their merry way and be like, wow, I feel so much better now. This is great. And some people need a much more structured food plan, which maybe, uh, you know, their triggers might be more varied. So for example, for some people, nuts can be a problem. For some people, cheese can be a problem where they take one bite and they can't stop. And then that spirals into more and more food. And then some people even have a very structured plan of eating where they have weighed and measured meals every day. So, and and that can be a really useful tool for some people. But that's just one part of recovery. Um, So if you know, it sounds like you know a little bit about addiction treatment. um, Really, we need a community of support. That's partly why I created this Facebook group. So people can come together and feel part of community and feel like they're not alone and also lean on each other. And also practices that are really going to uh, fill the hole that they previously filled by, you know, with, by eating. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a spiritual practice. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's, you know, com- communing with nature or finding ways of really making themselves feel okay. You know, when I am meditating or I'm exercising or I'm, you know, playing piano or doing something fun for myself, that's not like... I take these things very seriously because they are necessary for me to, uh, you know, stay on a healthy path because uh, otherwise I get too depleted and things can really spiral for me.
1: What does, as part of the treatment plan, what would, what signs should people, uh, I really can't.
2: Yeah.
1: Take your time. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) You're doing great.
1: (laughs) What, signs should people be on the lookout for as far as like withdrawal and what can be done to help and ease those withdrawal symptoms?
2: Yeah. So withdrawal is definitely a real thing. And I always say like, if you can just take it easy for a few days and limit the demands on yourself, right? Like don't try to, Also be working out and also be like, you know, who knows, planning a big presentation for work. And like, if you can take it really easy, drink lots of nice warm tea, watch a movie, (laughs) like just really like take it easy on yourself. You know, let your, your significant other know that you might not be in a very good mood. (laughs) Um, and just give it a few days because the withdrawal is a is a good thing. I know you know there are some supplements that people say help, but for me, I just feel like take it easy um accept that you might not feel great, and that's something that's not easy for somebody who's a food addict. I think distress tolerance is something that is um. Uh, A challenge to many people who have constantly, you know, medicated any bad feeling with food. So, you know, be ready for not feeling great, accept it, lean into support, and just like be gentle with yourself for a few days. That's the best advice that I have.
0: How does uh, 12-step work um, go into the treatment?
2: So, When I work with clients, I don't follow, um, like, a specific – I don't specifically follow the 12-step model. But I think that so many elements of the the 12 steps are, like, you know, um, healthy mindsets (laughs) that really are, are like, basic good mental health practices, like forgiveness, like taking responsibility for your actions, like, you know, connecting to something greater than yourself – um, you know doing being of service all these things are you know to me just like basic uh tenets of uh, healthy psychology so you know certainly the 12 step pro uh, programs have helped so many people and I would even recommend you know even when I see clients like go to meetings if you if that resonates with you like because from a connection standpoint they're very useful um but I don't not everybody resonates with this, the way that the 12 steps, um, you know, are laid out. Not everybody really finds a sponsor that they connect with. Not everybody connects with the, you know, God in the way that the 12 step programs, um, you know, sort of ask of you. So I, I I think it, it, I have no, no, I, I think they're great and I would, I encourage people to explore myself. I don't follow them. I don't follow the 12 steps in my treatment plans exactly. But like I said, they're very useful. Um, you know, uh, the word is gone for me, but they're very useful. You know, there's, there's definitely gems there that are, I think, universal.
0: Sorry, (laughs) long pause. Um, So what else, what else is there to kind of like tips or good information to pass along?
2: Yeah. So I think if somebody is curious about this, like (laughs) I find it when I talk to people about food addiction, by the time that somebody's coming to talk to me, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a food addict, (laughs) you know, like, um, but you know, so if, if you're, kind of curious about it, then I would say, you know, follow me on Instagram, watch my videos, see if it resonates with you. Um, I think I, I, I think what what I recommend for people who go into treatment is to give it two weeks. You know, give it two weeks. And what I find after, and when I say give it two weeks, I mean cut out the sugar, cut out the processed foods for two weeks. And what I find very frequently uh, is that people are like, wow, I'm never going back. <laughs> like, you know, like they really feel a difference in their body and in their ability to, you know, stop binging behaviors that they have been struggling with for years and years and years. So that's, I mean, I think that's worth giving two weeks <laughs> into and like, the thing with addiction is that it's, it's so difficult and it's so hard and it's so um, soul-sucking and life-sucking. And then if you can get into recovery in a strong program of recovery, you really can elevate your life. And that's the message that I always like to leave people with is that it's not – this is not a message of, oh, woe is me. And not a message of like, oh, this is what I can't have anymore and this is what I can't do anymore. It's like, no, look where I've gotten – because I've recognized what my issues are and dealt with them. And now my life is elevated. Like I am self-employed. I love my job. I experience more joy than I ever have. You know, I'm like in great physical condition, all these things. And it really comes out of recovery. Um, And so I really like to leave people with that message that this is really uh, a message of hope.
0: I like that. And, And like two weeks, isn't that long. Like you can do anything for two weeks.
2: Yeah, especially with support, right? Especially when you're like, you have people cheering you on, you're doing things together, um, you know, you have people checking in on you. So yeah, for sure.
1: And the the support, I think, is absolutely critical. I mean, you can't can't be on an island by yourself and and trying to be successful and overcoming an addiction like that. You need people to you want to be recognized as having made positive improvements and you can't just recognize yourself and and like you've got to have that support system
2: I would say it's almost it's almost impossible to do it on your own really yeah um and one of the services that I offer Um, That I think is one of the most valuable things that I offer is like a daily check in for people. Mm -hmm. So every single day, I'm expecting an email from you where we're checking in, seeing how your day's gone, um, looking at what the positives have been looking what your goals for the next day are. Um, you know, if there were any tricky parts, then we can troubleshoot those parts. And it's just like knowing that there's somebody waiting to hear if you've stuck to your plan. And, um, and I really think that that's one of the most valuable tools that I offer to my clients and, uh, people, there's a really positive response to that as well. Yeah. Sounds amazing.
1: So, so like a, a positive reinforcement, but a, an ultimate accountability as well.
2: Yes, Exactly.
0: So where can people find you on Facebook and Instagram and on the interwebs?
2: Yeah. So my name is Pamela, weird last name, blame my husband, M-E-K-U, and I'll say Z for the Americans. (laughs) I would say Z because I'm in Canada. So Pamela Mekuz. Um, My company is Life is Sweet Counseling. So you can look me up at www.lifeissweetcounseling.com. You can see my offerings, which are basically one-on-one counseling right now. I have the daily accountability. At some point, there is a 10-week course up there. I am not sure exactly when I'll be offering that. I also have my webinars, which you can find in my Life is Sweet Counseling Facebook group for bariatric um, food addiction support. And on Instagram, Pamela underscore Meku's. I'm in all the places and I love to hear from people. So, you know, feel free to reach out and let me know what kind of content you're interested in because I like to make my my content useful. And um, I'm really, I feel, you know, I'm at the beginning of my career. So people have a lot of access to me. So <laughs> I really recommend for people to take advantage of it, you
0: know? That sounds awesome. We have really enjoyed chatting with you. This has been so informative.
1: I have been looking forward to this one for Several days.
2: Thank you so much. It's really great connecting with you too. It's been so much fun. Um, You guys are great and be in touch. Of course. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.